Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm John Weeks, and this is The Leader. Seven years after officially becoming Britain's longest reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II is celebrating her platinum jubilee, marking her 70 years of service for the United Kingdom. And what a 70 years they've been. Her Majesty has witnessed immense changes in technology and culture, several wars and conflicts, a global pandemic and an ever-changing political landscape. As street parties and celebrations take place across the UK this week, we're looking back on Queen Elizabeth's reign, what she's achieved and what her tenure as our monarch means for the world. I would suggest that Elizabeth II is one of Britain's greatest monarchs. We're going to learn about some of the key moments in Her Majesty's reign, her links to a well-known London tourist attraction, the history of Jubilees, and what's in store for this year's Jubilee celebrations. But first, we're joined by royal historian and author Dr Edward Owens. So Ed, Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee, that's quite the milestone, isn't it? It is a significant milestone. A 70-year reign is something certainly to celebrate within the British context. I think what's most remarkable about this 70-year reign is is the amount of of change that it encapsulates. The world of 2022 is very different to the world of 1952, when Elizabeth II came to the throne. She became monarch at a time when there were still rationing controls left over from the Second World War at a time when British national life felt extremely uh, dismal, really. And she sought to offer, uh, in terms of a public image, a certain sense of of hope and optimism about what a new reign might might offer in terms of a break with the past. Better times ahead was the the kind of theme and feeling when she came to the, the throne 70 years ago. And as you say, the last 70 years have seen quite a lot of changes. Would you say Her Majesty has seen the most significant cultural changes of any monarch during their reign? The post-war history of the United Kingdom is really the the history of the the second Elizabethan age. We've witnessed sort of the the post-war economic boom of the of the 50s, early 60s. We've witnessed a decline in deference, so 
and, and what I mean by that is, is people paying less heed to traditional hierarchies, treating their so-called social betters with less and less respect. We've seen decolonization, uh, the loss of the empire, its rebranding as Commonwealth and post-war immigration. You know, the, the ethnic, religious, cultural makeup of modern Britain is completely different today in comparison to the early 1950s. Then moving into the sort of 60s, 70s, obviously we have the so-called swinging moment where Britain became much more culturally liberal, followed then by a post-war sort of economic uh, decline, relative decline in the 70s. Then it's sort of great reimagination of the British economy via Thatcherism and the policies of the conservative governments in the, in the 80s and early 90s. And then we're looking at, you know, the last 30 years and those 30 years are certainly in, in people's, people's memories are much fresher. But again, we've seen, you know, significant change in terms of where Britain is in the world. So what key moments stick out in your mind about her time on the throne? Well, in the 50s, she was very keen to project an image of her and her family as the, as the ideal family, as the, as the, the, the embodiment of post-war family life. So monarchy became notably more middle class in the way it looked. She and Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, presented themselves as just another ordinary couple. This was, of course, PR. This was all about trying to make connections with members of the British public by presenting themselves as, as ordinary. That really worked in the 1950s. People really attached themselves and invested themselves in this idea of the of the monarchy as as embodied by these two young people with this this ideal family the last 25 years has been a, a period defined by reconstruction uh, elizabeth ii but also king in waiting charles have sought to rebrand monarchy in her 70th year the defining theme that is going to characterize the jubilee this year is going to be the theme of duty because ever since she came to the throne, the one thing that Elizabeth II has sought to emphasise publicly is that she puts her national responsibility, her public service, ahead of her personal fulfilment, her own personal desires. And Elizabeth II inherits this concept of monarchy from her father. And it's a very powerful idea that the monarch, ahead of all other members of her family, puts duty first. And you mentioned the Queen putting her service before anything else. I mean, what are some of her achievements or actions that are significant but people might not have heard about? Well, the one thing I would focus on in particular would be the role the Queen has played in keeping the Commonwealth going. Since she came to the throne in 52, she has sought to ensure that this global platform continues. And in the early 50s, Elizabeth II and the monarchy, with the help of the British government, did much to rebrand empire as this new thing, Commonwealth. And the, the great theme of her coronation in 53 was this idea that the Commonwealth family was joining together around this new figure, Elizabeth II, in communion as this new family of nations. And whereas the, the Queen hasn't been able to play a very active political role in, in British politics, because constitutionally she's not allowed to have a political voice, she has been able to play a more active role in the politics of the Commonwealth. And arguably, the only reason why we still have this, this geopolitical organisation is because 
because Elizabeth II has been so invested in it. Uh, she's seen it as her playground, really, and a place where she can speak out on, on important global issues. And I think, really, this begs the question as to whether the Commonwealth can survive without her, given how integral she's been to its survival. So, quite the 70-year reign so far... But as the celebrations begin, how will this jubilee compare with those in the past? For me, it's just particularly fascinating just how our celebrations of the past can be seen in the celebrations of today. Charles Farris is a historian and curator from Historic Royal Palaces, the charity organisation which looks after sites like Kensington Palace and the Tower of London. So, Charles, will this be the biggest royal jubilee this country has seen? Oh, it's, a, it's a fantastic occasion and milestone and uh, we're really fortunate to be, you know, have been living in this, uh, you know, the 21st and the 20th century where we've been lucky enough to witness and enjoy and celebrate so many jubilees because many generations can pass without getting to witness one and so the fact that in the last 70 years we've been able to enjoy a, in, uh, a silver jubilee and a golden jubilee and a platinum jubilee and of course the diamond jubilee before that it's an amazing amazing milestone and it's an amazing opportunity to come together and celebrate so many years of service and have jubilees always been a thing in this country i mean when did the tradition begin the first one that we know about in sort of like post-conquest history was actually henry iii and he reached this milestone in 1265 Fortunately, we don't have to wait too long in the grand scheme of things before the next opportunity to celebrate one of these uh, 50th anniversaries or golden jubilees, as we would call it now. And that comes in the reign of Edward III in the 14th century. And we're talking about 1376. And we do know a little bit more about that early celebration. We know that Edward III held a tournament. And this tournament began, or the celebrations began, with a grand procession from the Tower of London up to the Smithfield. And he was accompanied by trumpeters, and they were wearing special clothes for the occasion. They had decorated banners on their trumpets. So it must have been a wonderful sort of like musical occasion as well. And so actually, even in the 14th century, in 1376, you have some of these key ingredients of modern celebrations. You have military displays, and of course we have gun salutes and marching to celebrate current jubilees. You also have processions, which are incredibly important, and you also have music. And of course music is important today. We think of the concerts that are often held to celebrate jubilees. So even in the 14th century, you can uh, enjoy some of these key features of jubilees. And the way people are planning to celebrate this year with street parties and other community events, is that how people of the past would have celebrated as well? There's a wonderful account um, written in the 19th century of these celebrations, and they really do show that it was celebrated all around the country in lots of very different ways, but with common themes. So decorations have been incredibly important, and of course we're going to see pictures of wonderfully decorated street parties and streets and banners and bunting and things like that. And another key feature, which as you mentioned, the street parties, the feasting, feasting incredibly important as well. One of the things I really love about these jubilees um, in the 19th century is what was on the menu, um, which might surprise you actually, because um, one of the key ingredients for most of these dinners was actually roast beef followed by Christmas pudding, which of course seems like a strange thing to have uh, in the summer in the case of Queen Victoria or in October in the case of George III. But I think this is just sort of like a common celebratory dish that brought people together. 
food was put on and money was put on so everybody could join in the celebrations. It wasn't just the rich and the powerful that had banquets, you know, food and money was provided to um, people in schools, people even in prisons to make sure that everybody could really join in the occasion. And there were lots of charities set up as well. George III himself gave some money which was given to a charity which uh, helped people with their debts. And so there was a real sort of like charitable outpouring as well which continued in Queen Victoria's reign as well. So just as everybody's celebrating, they're also taking the opportunity to think of the people less fortunate than themselves so that everybody could join in and celebrate the occasion. Let's take a break now. Don't miss part two, though. We'll find out about the royal family's links to Madame Two Swords and what's in store for the official Jubilee pageant. When you see it, it really just takes your breath away. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, of course, it's a very rare occasion you actually get to take a picture with Queen Elizabeth. But one place we have been able to do that over the years is Madame Tussauds in London. The royal family have all been given a black tie makeover and a refresh. Tim Waters is general manager at the attraction. So, Tim, I understand Her Majesty has a bit of history with Madame Tussauds. Can you tell us about that? So... Madame Tussauds in London has a really kind of long tradition of having the royal family sitting for us. And we've created a number of the royal family figures across many different years. And in actual fact, it started back in the 1800s with Marie Tussaud, our founder, with King George III, who was the first member of the royal family who sat with us. And moving on to kind of the present day with Her Majesty the Queen, we've actually had seven sittings with her. The latest one was in 2001. But we actually started back in 1928 with the Queen when she was aged just two, actually. I mean, it's just so nice to have that really kind of close uh, connection in with the royal family. So can you run us through the process of modelling? I mean, would it have been like the olden days when a king or queen would have to stay still for hours for an artist to paint them? So sittings take a fairly long time to do. So, you know, there's over 200 different measurements which are taken during each sitting. And obviously technology has has significantly moved on from what it was like many, many years ago. But in terms of actually creating the figure, it typically takes somewhere around four to five months to, to actually make the figure. And, you know, we utilise the team of around 20, you know, really kind of high skilled studio artists to, to create them. You know, and every single hair is inserted individually by hand by our studios team. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a significant amount of work which goes into it. And you'd almost say it's the ultimate portrait. So, I mean, it's obviously three-dimensional art sculpted by artists. So it does take a, a fair amount of time to do. And there must have been quite a close relationship between Her Majesty and those artists doing the modelling. Do you have any interesting stories from her visits? 
So I'm sure there is many, many different stories which through the years, you know, probably going back to Marie Tussaud who could tell uh, those various different stories. I think that there is most probably a number of uh, interesting sittings which we've had through the years, whether that's been at our studios or indeed, you know, at the Palace. I think it's it's really probably uh, one of those secrets which will will remain with um, Madame Tussauds for for years to come. And I understand you're putting on a new exhibit for the Jubilee. Can you tell us a bit about that? We've put on display seven of the really kind of breathtaking gowns that have been worn by Her Majesty uh, and her 24 figures, which we've had created during her 70-year reign. They're really kind of iconic gowns, which kind of are all kind of iconic ones. So, you know, we start with, you know, the 1953 coronation dress, You know, we've got a number of other really kind of iconic dresses which kind of take you through Her Majesty's kind of years and kind of ending up with, you know, a really kind of iconic yellow coat and and hat from 2018. And actually, she was actually wearing a very similar outfit when she opened the Elizabeth line last week. So alongside the dresses which we've got on display, We've actually brought our Harry and Meghan figures back down to be with the rest of the royal family in the royal throne room, uh, really kind of to to kind of honour the royal family for this really kind of special occasion. But you know, the, the royal family have all been given a black tie makeover and a refresh befitting, I think, of uh, the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Now to the festivities themselves. We've been reliably informed the Platinum Jubilee pageant this week has the royal stamp of approval. We have shared our ideas with the palace, so they are aware of what we're doing. That's Rosanna Machado, CEO of the Platinum Jubilee pageant, putting on a show along the streets of London this week. She's behind similar big events like the Diamonds Jubilee in 2012 and the G8 Summit in 2013. So Rosanna, what's in store for people coming to watch? Yeah, so the the pageant takes place on the Sunday afternoon and it is a joyful spectacle through the streets of London. So we've got four different acts. So Act One is for Queen and Country and that is our ceremonial piece with troops from across the UK and across the Commonwealth. Act Two is called The Time of Our Lives and that's kind of a run through the decades, through music, vintage cars, dance, kids TV, you name it. Act three is called Let's Celebrate. And we take aspects of the Queen's life and her values and her loves. And we bring that to life through carnival, dance, puppets. And act four is called Happy and Glorious, which is a tribute to the Queen outside of Buckingham Palace. And you mentioned some of the elements there. Are there any that the Queen or the royal family have asked for? Or is it just the collaboration of artists bringing the elements they think are best? It's us working with several different artists and with our internal team to really kind of showcase what we think are the best and and the elements of her reign and of our society that we'd love to bring to life. And we have shared our ideas with the palace so they are aware of what we're doing. Now, obviously, you've got huge experience in big events like this. What are you hoping to achieve with this celebration? Well, I really hope it's a moment for us to, as a nation to come together to give thanks to Her Majesty the Queen for 70 years of service, but also to celebrate all the communities and the society that we've become over that time. So it, it's really a collective celebration. Thank you to the Queen, but also look forward to our future as well. 
And I've seen some cool things teased already, like the corgis, like the cogwork horse. What's your favourite part of the pageant going to be? Wow, that's a big question. I've lived and breathed it for over a year and there are, there are loads of bits that I love. I'm really excited about the Gold State Coach in the ceremonial piece because when you see it, it really just takes your breath away. I'm also excited that there are some Daleks from Doctor Who taking part in the Time of Our Lives, which takes me back to my childhood. And the piece in Let's Celebrate, where we have a giant wedding cake and a Bollywood-style wedding, I think, would just be really spectacular. So where do you think this event will rank for you personally in your career? It's going to be pretty high up, has to be said. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I think I love... I love the big scale. I love bringing together a big team and I love something that is creative and, you know, you don't quite know how it's going to go till the date. So, yeah, it's going to be up there. That's The Leader. There's more news, interviews and analysis in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. We're back on Monday at 4pm. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code super 24.